Good morning, everyone. I uh, have an announcement, and the only reason I'm going to give it is not because I think you all care about my business, but because it relates to Chase School. So just this week, I just uh, started, well, I'm officially starting next Monday, but I just became the math and science coach for the 27 schools in this area. So no, oh, thank you. All, all my street cred is gone. It's just math is science. I'm done. Uh, but the reason why I wanted to tell you all is because if you see me driving around, I didn't quit or left the kids all alone. I just have a new job that I'll be traveling different schools and hopefully have a bigger impact for the gospel, meeting a bunch of teachers and principals and hoping to affect systemic change. That's uh, one of my goals. But I do want to let you all know the relationship with Chase is strong. Uh, there's so many things and remnants at at Chase that talk about Good News Bible Church, even something as little as we have the fans that make the gym able to be used because it gets so hot. It's on the third floor. So they're using fans that we've let them use uh, for like the last couple of years. So, And there's a wildlife program there that's like a Bible study that goes on after school, and that's still going to happen because my wife is there and other people there, and I'll be there volunteering, and people are allowed to do that as well. So you'll hear some information about that. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump into our text of Hebrews 11. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for being a God who gives us faith, who initiates our faith, who calls us. We thank you for being our Lord. Lord, we thank you for the days of Elijah. We thank you for all the songs that we've had a chance to sing this morning that remind us of your goodness and how much you love us, Lord, and how great you are. So we pray today, Lord, that we would not look at this story and ho-hum it, but to just be renewed in our excitement for what you do and what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's this book called Second Calling. It's written by a lady named Dale Burke, and she wrote it years ago, and she talked about when she attended a conference. Now, when the conference was over, her friend offered her a ride. Her friend Bruce offered her a ride to the airport. This was a Christian conference. There was another Christian going that way, and he said, hey, can I ride with you all? And so they were all riding to the airport. As they drove away from the hotel, uh, Dale, she and Bruce, she asked the man where he worked. And he mentioned that he worked in a Christian organization. Bruce said, when he heard the name of it, he said, man, I have fond memories of that group because I attended a a retreat of theirs one time, and that's where I became a Christian. It was in 1972 in New Hampshire. I remember it as clear as day. And then Bruce kept explaining how because he became a Christian, God used him to Pretty much his whole family became Christians. One of them became a Christian publisher, and one of them works for Wycliffe, or Wycliffe, however it's said, became a missionary for them. And he finished his story saying that the retreat had worldwide impact if he thought about it. And then the stranger was just real, real quiet, so they thought they were boring him. They, they, they thought that they were just talking too much. But then the man was, was real quiet, and he said, I led that retreat. It was the first time I ever led a, led a retreat, the first time I was a conference leader. And to be honest with you, I felt like a total failure. Until this moment, I had always believed it was one of the biggest mistakes in my life. And Dale Burke wrote, What seemed like the simple act of offering a ride to a stranger, stranger tur- turned into a powerful reminder that God uses things that don't seem at all successful, yet only God knows the purpose. And... and And I think what I want us to hear there is we are called to be faithful, to be full of faith, knowing that even in some of the menial things we do, that God 
can use them for a big time purpose. First Corinthians 4.20 even tells us, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful, that they live lives of faith. So today we're looking at Abraham, the father of faith. Father Abraham, I'm not going to sing the song. Ever, you guys ever notice how sometimes with the songs or like these characters get kind of minimalized or the story gets like made small. Like think about Noah's Ark. I remember listening to a story by Francis Chan and he was talking about how people decorate nurseries. Christians decorate their nurseries with Noah's Ark. But if you think about it, a whole lot of people and animals drown in that story. They don't put that part on the wall. They want their kids to come out normal, right? But a lot of people die in that story. Like we might not feel that impact because we see the cute elephants and things like that hanging out with the lions and stuff. And then you see Samsung and how he killed a hundred, a thousand people with a donkey jawbone. And I mean, do you even visualize that when you hear that? Like you're probably not allowed to, right? It's like rated R. It's like destroying people with a donkey jawbone. And then you hear about Absalom's death. And I have a slide of this one. So I was teaching uh, the, the oldest group about Absalom, who was David's son, who was trying to revolt against David. And I don't know if you guys ever heard the story of his death, but he had a lot of long, he had a lot of hair and he got caught in the tree as he was trying to get away or as he was riding. And so as he gets caught, people in David's army find him and they put a couple of javelins through him. And the kids were like, is this real? I said, it's real. Like, we're reading from the Bible. And they were super excited. They said, can we, can we do an art project about it? And being a good teacher, I said, sure. So if, you ever, if they ever came home with a bunch of pictures like that, that was from God's word. You can't get mad at me or them. Uh, but these stories truly are amazing. Uh, they have great power, and they're part of our culture They're part of our story, our lingo, our literature. So I want us to know that when we talk about Abraham, let's be amazed. Let's uh, almost pretend like it's the first time hearing it, because it's something that's pretty amazing what God did in terms of his life of faith. So let God's word inspire us. In chapter 11, the author lists a bunch of heroes of history, the history of Israel. and And he starts all of it by saying, by faith. By faith, so-and-so did this, and by faith, and he goes right on down. He names some people. The only way to really apprehend or uh, comprehend the new covenant is by faith. And you see, the the audience he was writing to, they kind of believed in a a works type of faith, that you kind of earn that. And some some of them even believed that Abraham was called or had faith because he was righteous. And so he wasn't necessarily chosen, but God saw him and said, oh, there's one already. But... That's not true. What's true is, is that God initiates the faith with a, which allowed each and every one of these people to become the historic character that they are. God has always operated that way. New Testament, Old Testament. Faith is real. And I was thinking about what's the definition of faith. And sometimes, it, you know, we can hear the words. If you look it up, like if you look up the, the Hebrew, it kind of means trust, believe. But some of those words don't really capture it, you know. So I was really thinking, like, based on what I've been studying and what I've been seeing and what you're going to be seeing, I think a good definition of faith is someone living their life as if what is promised to them by God is very, very real. Someone living their life as if what is promised to them by God is so real, you actually see them acting it out. 
So what were some of the previous examples? So and it started out with Abel. And if you guys remember Abel, he was the person who came with the right sacrifice. This is like the, la- the launching point or the starting point of faith, realizing that you have sin and that you have to come to Christ with the right sacrifice. And it talks about how he was made righteous. And so that's an example of justification. And then we get another piece from Enoch. When he talks about Enoch, he says he walked with the Lord. And we get the idea of Enoch walking with God and having a relationship with God. That might give us an example of what sanctification looks like, a continual walk with the Lord. And then we have Noah, who was obedient, obedient in building something about uh, building something to prepare for something he had not seen or that he had never seen before that was coming, that was future. And that kind of reminds us of glorification a little bit about what's to come and are we obedient now for what's to come. But in Abraham, we see sort of a more well-rounded faith. Kind of has all those elements in it. The author of Hebrews is giving Abraham a very well, giving him us Abraham as a well-rounded view of faith. He's a real person we can look to as a prototype. We see in, what we see in Abraham will probably resonate with us. And so we don't look into the Old Testament and try to find ourselves. We try to find out what God is saying there. But when we talk about Abraham, it's going to be real common, real similar to a lot of our walks with faith as well. And the reason why is because he's the prototype for it. So the author Abraham is using, I mean, the author of Hebrews is using Abraham as the main example. Let's dig in. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. If you're with your Bible, I'll read it to us. And we're going to stay on this verse for a minute. And it goes like this. Hebrews 11:8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. You guys notice how it starts? It's in the middle of the sentence, but it starts with Abraham was called by God. He was called by God. So he, the faith, the obedience, none of this happens until he was called by God. God initiates Abraham's faith. God initiates all faith. Abraham was a pagan. He was an unbeliever. He lived in a pagan land. Joshua 24.2 tells us that Abraham's father's dad was named Terah, and he served other gods. He was polytheistic, and that's the type of family Abraham grew up in. So Abraham himself was not necessarily a righteous person or a moral person. We have no indication that, that, that tells us that he wasn't just a pagan like all the other pagans at that time. But God spoke to him and initiated. He started that relationship. God's grace, he condescends, and by his sovereign intention, all him, he saves Abraham. He changes Abraham. But we never hear that Abraham was righteous or moral in the Bible. That's some tradition with that, but we never hear that. But we do hear of a God who initiates faith, and he calls Abraham. And isn't that the same with us? The Bible tells us that no, one, no one's looking for him. Nobody's really trying that we are dead in our sins. But what does God do? He initiates that, that conviction where you will realize you're a sinner. All that stuff happens because of God. That doesn't come from us. And to kind of cement the point, Romans chapter 4, which talks about Abraham, the main crux of that chapter is to teach people that God justifies the ungodly. He uses Abraham, who has this amazing faith, as one of the examples. Isn't that amazing? 
Now, when he was called, Abraham obeyed. Now, there's something real cool in this phrase. The phrase when he was called is what they call a present participle. It speaks of the response going on at the same time as the calling is coming. Let me break that down. Abraham's obedience was so immediate that it almost should read like this. Abraham, while being called, was obeying. Now, this shows you how immediate his response was and his obedience was. And it's faith because he went out and he didn't even know where he was going. But he still, as he was being called, obeyed. Now, there's a great uh, phrase in the hood that explains this when I was growing up. Let me give you all an example, okay? So I think I was like in seventh grade when I understood this idea. I heard some teachers talking about it, something called an income tax check. So I went to my parents and I said, hey, I hear that around, you know, April, May, if June, something like one of these months, you're going to get an income tax check. I've never had a pair of Michael Jordan shoes, mom. You think I can maybe if I come up with half, maybe I could get a pair of Michael Jordan shoes. And my mom looked me in my face and she said, that money been gone. And I said, you already got the check? She said, no, the check hasn't even come yet, but it's already been gone. It's been spent. And that's exactly the type of faith that Abraham had. As the call is coming, he's gone. He's doing it. He's on it. And I want us, all of us, to kind of have that faith where you spend it before it even comes, huh? Isn't that amazing? Some of y'all say, I could do the spending part. I don't know about the faith part already, right? Another thing that stands out about Abraham here, what makes this stand out so much is he didn't know where he was going. He didn't know where it was. Can you imagine the conversation he had with his wife? Where are we going? I don't know. Some of you are like, that don't sound cool. Well, if that doesn't sound cool to you, let me read something from the New Slander version. This is what I just made up. So this is not from the Bible. This is a different version, New Slander. And this is what it says. God gave Abraham a brochure about Canaan. He set him up with a job, a J-O-B, a team of movers, a five-year, 10-year, and 20-year business plan. He put an initial payment down for his 401k. He gave him blueprints to the tent so he could see that it was pimped out to the best. And anything else. I just put etc. Is that what the word says? No way. Abraham's faith was like that. Even though he didn't know, he was gone. He was gone. And I think one thing that I really, really want to push in us is a phrase I heard a preacher say, and it wasn't even his main point, but he talked about this phrase, and it's really important, and I want want to give it to you guys. It says, did God tell you that? Did God tell you that? And I think about that in terms of when we feel pushed to go and do something, I think we think about all the negatives for so long, and the fact is God didn't tell you any of those negatives, you know? Uh, I remember one time I was getting out the car, and I'm not super spiritual or anything, but I had a bunch of donuts, and I had just moved to the neighborhood. There were some kids and their parents next door, and I, as soon as I got out, I was, I was thinking, it was like, give those people your donuts. Now, my daughter, Alyssa, she was little. She didn't ask for donuts. She said she needed Dunkin' Donuts. 
So I had the Dunkin' Donuts for her, and I was like, do I grab one so she still gets it? or I just give And then I just gave him the whole thing, and that started a conversation, and all these great things happened because of that. But I think that some of the things that I thought first when I, when I felt that I should have gave him this is I was just like, this is dumb. Why would someone just take donuts from you? Why would, and I came up with all these things. But guess what? God didn't say any of those things. God didn't say any of those things. So when God is leading you, think about what he is saying, not necessarily the things that he's not saying. Okay? One more element of this been gone faith that Abraham had is that there was a big separation. When he leaves, he leaves his home, his background. And doesn't that, doesn't that uh, remind you of when you became a believer? Or shouldn't it? That there was a big change. There should have been a break away from some things. And sometimes it's gradual, but often it's pretty immediate. And so that's what Abraham is part of the reason why Abraham is the prototype. Let's move on to verses 9 through 10. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundation, whose designer and builder is God. Everyone, Abraham leaves, he has no land, and he had people with him. He travels and he travels. It took a long time. He spent five years in a place called Haran that wasn't even in the right direction. He lived in tents. Some of y'all say, I'm from the city. I don't do camping, right? So this man is a nomad. He's literally picking up and going often. He kept sojourning. And that word sojourning means to live beside those who are not like you. He lived beside people who were not like him. But he does it because he has patient faith. He does it because he had faith in what God had promised him. And so I want to challenge us. I want to challenge us with this part of faith. Are we patient? Are we patient with this time where we have to live among people who are not like us? We don't always get to be together, right? Sometimes we have to live in a place where other people are not like us. This is not our true home. We're nomads here. And what I want to challenge people with is, are you setting up shop? Some of us pretend like this is the real spot. And this is not our real home. And you set up shop. And one way you can tell if you're like that is because God had very little, God had very little to do with where you chose to live or what neighborhood you picked out. You know, God wasn't a part of all the statistics you looked at. But I have a sneaky suspicion that God wants us to be around a lot of people who are not like us. And a lot of times we tend to get near each other and kind of Huddle and cuddle. And so I want to challenge you by looking at Abraham. He spent a time for a long time where he was around people that were not like him. Namely, people that did not have the same faith that he did. So who gets to decide where you live next? Who gets to decide what apartment you pick? You know, is it that Chicago magazine or, you know, all the places that have the stats or what's the next upcoming place? Or is it God who puts something in you and says, by faith, this is where I want you to be? And you've been gone. You've been doing that because that's what faith looks like. Notice that Abraham wanted to go to a place that was designed by God. Do you know a place designed by God can look really messed up? Did you know that? I remember when Diana and I first got married, um, we didn't have that much money, so we didn't have much choice. 
But we thought it'd be cool to go to the, what's that thing called? A realtor. And when he asked us, where, you know, where are you looking for a home? We said, we want to find, we want you to find the worst block in Humble Park. That's where we want to live. And he was like, this is going to be easy. And so we got a house like within a month. So he put us on 1100 Springfield, which was absolutely horrific. But let me tell you, it felt horrific. It didn't, it wasn't nice. Uh, it smelled like nachos all the time. There was two people on the side fighting to sell their nachos. One had Doritos. It was crazy, right? But let me tell you, that was some of the best three years uh, of our life in terms of living there. And uh, we were able to start a flag football program with the kids from the neighborhood. Do you know one time we set out a pool in the yard for Alyssa? You know, one of those small ones like this? And we had 10 kids from the neighborhood looking over the gate. And we said, go get your swimsuit. And we had 11 people swim. We had, they had to take turns swimming in this little pool. Isn't that crazy? So I just want to let you know, I mean, I'm just giving an example from my story, not to be super spiritual, but sometimes you need to look at a heavenly place. And it doesn't always look the way it does, you would think it does in the magazine. And God's promise was never seen by Abraham in his life. He never owned land. He wandered. He was a tent dweller. But he never abandoned his faith in a future promise. Do you know he was, when he was in Haran, he was there five years. When he gets out of there, he's 75 years old. Still hasn't seen the promise. And then he migrates all the way back to the southwest in Canaan. He goes into the land and there's never anything other than a stranger there. But this is his patience. This is his challenge. And this is the challenge for us as well. Are we patient? Do we have faith in God's ultimate plans, even though we have the day-to-day grind? In faith, he continued to hold the promise of God high. It drove him. It motivated him. It got him up in the morning. It pressed him toward, up, I mean forward. Let God's promises drive you guys, drive us, to live as strangers here on earth, as hard as it is. I want us to think about the idea of promise. There, are there promises for us? Are there promises for us in the Bible? Yeah. And when I think about when I do something wrong, and I feel really bad, and I just think about that promise that says He separated our sin from the east to the west, right? I got to believe that. I got to have faith that and live that out that that is true. That He'll never forsake us or leave us that he would direct our paths, that if we trust in him, he'll direct our paths. One of the first Bible verses I learned as a kid. I want you to think about Abraham versus Lot for a second. So Abraham, he was thinking about the heavenly and thinking about the place to live, but Lot picked his for where the party at. And that's what it seems like. Lot, Lot wanted to live for the earthly. And we see that Lot went through a lot of bad. He went through some horrible things. Whole thing gone. But Abraham had a higher view. He had a higher purpose, higher life. And I don't want that to be our story. I don't want us to live a lot, a lot style life where we say, hey, we want to be concerned about living here and focused here. You know, we need to think about what's the ultimate goal, what's the ultimate place where we're going to live and work towards that. Next, we're going to read the big chunk, verses 11 through 19. I'm not going to go through each one verse by verse, but we're just going to We're just going to point out some major points here. So let's read that. Follow along with me, please. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, that's kind of mean, right, were born descendants 
as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But that as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of, in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Excuse me. Abraham's faith was powerful. And what does that power look like? It's the power that accomplishes the impossible. You see, God makes promises that cannot be fulfilled by humans on a human level. And he fulfills them to those who believe in him. Let me say that again. God makes promises that cannot be fulfilled on a human level and fulfills them to those who believe in him. Isn't that amazing? So what occurred because of God, what occurred because of God fulfilling his promises to Abraham? What happened? What happened because God kept his promise to Abraham? In his old age, he had a son. In his old age, he had a son. And the Bible verse is kind of mean. Every time I read it, I chuckle and said he was like pretty much dead body. But it happened anyway. And did you guys know Abraham actually, when Sarah dies, he actually goes on to have six more kids? You got to look that up. Because you're like, what? Yeah, you got to look that up. He actually has more kids after that. What else? They were old. Should have been impossible body-wise. It shouldn't have been able to happen. But Abraham had faith and God kept his promise. He had faith even in the face of impossibility. And what does, this say, what, does God, what does the Bible say here about people who have that type of faith? It says something. It says something really cool. God is not ashamed to be the God of people like this. Isn't that amazing? I know personally, and I've heard it from being a Mosaic leader and just being around church, a lot of times we feel ashamed and we don't feel like God to be our God. We, don't, you know, we, we really have a weird relationship with him like that. A lot of shame culture involved in that. But the Bible tells us, and we know Abraham had issues as well, but the Bible tells us that Abraham's faith was a faith, and people like that, that's a faith that God is not ashamed to be their God. He's not ashamed to be the God of people like that. And then the ultimate test, ultimate test, offer up Isaac, the very one promised, right? Now what's Abraham's faith do here? He believes that God would keep his promise no matter what. Now, you might say, you mean he thought Isaac was coming back? I would argue he, yeah, he, he believed that for real. The reason why is because of the, some of the things that he says. Watch some of the things that he does and he says. The day God called him, the next morning, guess what the Bible tells us? He woke up early to go. Isn't that amazing? That's some more of that been gone faith. What's another thing he does? When he's about to leave with Isaac, he looks at his servant and says, I and the boy will be back. So basically, you know, hold my wallet, we'll be back. He says this. So what does that mean? He believed that God would keep his promise, even to the point of what was about to happen. 
And then he even goes so far as actually to raise his hand. How hard that must have been, right? Some of you all, your kid acted super, super bad. You will not pop that kid in the mouth for one second. But we see, some of y'all left, but we see that Abraham was willing to, he actually raised his hand. I think that's amazing. That's the type of faith he had. And then we know God stops him, but we can see his faith was all the way up to the very end, real faith. And so here's our, here's our challenge to think about our faith, our very own faith. Okay? And so I wanted to bring up three different types here. First one I want to talk about is historical faith. And the Bible talks about different types of faith, like what, different types of things about faith. And so one of them is historical. And let me read to you John 5:39. It says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. Scriptures speak to us. That's our historical faith, like something we can all look back to. It's our literature. It's our culture. It, it drives our songs, what they're, what's written about them. See, the story of Abraham, it should speak to you. It shouldn't just be something you kind of check off on the list. I've heard that. It should be something that speaks to you. Fulfilled prophecy, the manuscripts, anything that proves that Jesus was who he claims to be, all these different things, they, led to, they, they lead to our historical faith. They're all records containing God's word. God is speaking to us. The proof is there. It's there if you're willing to do the research, if you're willing to look. The hall of faith, as they call Hebrews 11, gives us something to look back at. It's our culture. It's our text. It's something that becomes part of who we are. That's our historical faith. And I'm proud of that. You know, uh, I, I'm, I'm one of those people that gets offended when people, I don't tell it to people. I'll tell you all now so you can just hear it. Whenever people say, Christian music is corny, I get so angry. That's my music, though. Right. Or people say Christian movies, horrible actors. I'm like, Kirk Cameron was in one. You know what I'm saying? But on a silly note, but to be serious, like we have a culture, we have a way of being. And, and I thank the Lord for that. You know, I became a Christian when I was 10. I'm excited about all those years sitting, listening to a sermon. Super cool. Next one. Let's think about strong faith. And Romans 4.20 talks about Abraham had a strong faith that refused to surrender or be defeated. Following the faith of Abraham is, to what, is the way to receive what might be considered rare, strong faith. Even Jesus, when he called some, said someone had strong faith, he said, I haven't seen this too much. You know? Hebrews 12.2 says that the source and, source and author of our faith is Jesus. So you know what? We can grow. Our faith can grow. It can become strong. And I think that we should aim towards that, to have a strong faith. So don't grow weary in doing good. Be patient as you sojourn in this earth. You know, do not neglect meeting with other believers. Continue to grow. Spur each other. Irritate each other. Towards having a good walk, growing in your faith. I am still amazed at how many people come to church, but people that don't go to Mosaic. I mean, I am not an ideal believer, but I need, I need that Mosaic. I need that small group Bible study time. If I just go Sunday to Sunday, that's a big challenge for me. And there might be different avenues you all have, but I want to challenge you all. It's very important to me because if you don't, sometimes you can start to, and this is the next one, you can start to waver. You can start to waver. Things happen. You're not around people that's making you strong. You can begin to waver. And what does this look like? The key word for wavering faith is probably double-minded. 
unstable, no consistent course of mind. You're just super shaky. What, what, ends to happen, what, what tends to happen is personal opinions about God have been determined. You know, you just kind of have your own personal opinions rather than what God himself has said. And they like battle and they shouldn't battle because God is saying one and you're saying the other and they shouldn't battle. But they begin to battle. Berger has a quote to kind of heal this. And I'm going to end with this. He says, he says, people say, I feel so dead and cold. I have not the spiritual vivacity and warmth and life that I used to possess. I used to come to church and feel such joy and rejoicing and worshiping on God's day. But now I feel flat and dull. And then he gives him an answer. He says, don't be tempted to get away from Christ because of this. Who runs away from the fire because he is cold? Who in summer runs away from the cooling brook because he is hot? Should not my deadness or my wavering faith be the reason why I should come come to Christ? Jesus is superior. He gave us the ability to have faith. So come to Christ. If you feel wavering, come to Christ. Don't forsake meeting together. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the example you've given us. God, we pray that we would look at this example and that we would learn from it and that we would treat it as something we should live by, something we should look at as a great example, as a great prototype. God, we pray that as the prayer as the prayer partners come up, Lord, that we need to be strengthened, Lord, that you would have us get strengthened, Lord, that you would have us pray, that we would come to you, the author and source of our faith, that we would come to you in your holy word throughout the week, and that we would come to other brothers and sisters to encourage us and to stir us in good deeds, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.